You are listening to African Father in America podcast by Simon Javanokelo live from Seattle, Washington, USA. Greetings, greetings, uh, beautiful people. Thank you for joining us today for another amazing episode of the African Father in America podcast. I am in Seattle, Washington, and uh, I am joined here by an incredible leader and the CEO of the African Chamber of Commerce of the Pacific Northwest. He's just going to say hello to you before we begin the show. Uh, Mr. Gishuru, go ahead and say hello to our viewers and our listeners. Yeah, good morning, good morning, Seattle Times. Uh, my name is Peter Gichuru. Simon, thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to join this discussion. Very excited and uh, I'm honored to be part of this discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Gishuru. It's such an honor to have you on the show. You're one of the people that I look up to and uh, I just thank you for all the sacrifices uh, and all the work that you've done in our community uh, that continues to open many doors for me and many other members of our community. Uh, before we get started, I just want to share uh, a quick African proverb that is going to ground our conversation today. Uh, our proverb today is going to be from Tanzania and I am going to add it on the screen. Uh, for everybody who is watching to be able to, um, you know, to see it. Uh, it says that it is ridiculous for hunters to argue about the skin of a lion when they have not yet killed it. It is ridiculous for hunters to argue about the skin of a lion when they have not yet killed it. I am going to share three nuggets of wisdom related to this proverb uh, as we are going to explore it just uh, with my guest here briefly before we jump into the depth of our conversation today. So the first nugget of wisdom says that don't count your chickens before they hatch. The second nugget of wisdom says that set realistic goals and take things one step at a time. And the last nugget of wisdom says that don't waste your time and energy on things that you can't control. Mr. Gishuru, when you heard this proverb from Tanzania uh, and also the three nuggets of wisdom I shared, uh, what, what is your own perspective about this proverb that says, uh, you know, it's, it's really teaching us about the importance of focusing on the task at hand uh, and not getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, I want to hear your wisdom around it. You know, it says it is ridiculous for hunters to argue about the skin of a lion when they have not yet killed it. Go ahead, please. Yeah, in other words, uh, Simon, it is ridiculous to argue about something that you have not fulfilled because you don't know if you are going to be able to fulfill it. Uh, you are wasting time. Wait until you have fulfilled, done the action, then argue about it. Don't spend time, waste time arguing in something that you do not know if it's going to happen. So that's what I'm reading from this. You know, use your energy with the things that you can control and with the things that have already happened or 
are happening. That is true. That is true. I see that we have been joined by quite a few uh, viewers and listeners uh, from multiple platforms. We are actually live streaming on YouTube. If you are watching this on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to my channel and also uh, give this video a thumbs up and leave a comment. You know, let us know where in the world you are joining us from and uh, let us know what you think about this proverb yourself. Uh, I know that we are also live on Facebook. We are live on uh, AMP. That is a new app owned by Amazon. We are live on Twitter. We are live on LinkedIn. Wherever you are, just leave a comment so that we know that you see me and uh, Mr. Gishuru. But I want to go a little further, Mr. Gishuru. This question is really one of my favorites that I love asking guests that join me for the show. Where I want you to take us back maybe when you are 8 years old, maybe when you are 12 years old. To a time that uh, something happened that continues to drive you today as a leader. I share with my guests my own story where when I was eight years old my mother gave me a bicycle and asked me to help her distribute milk and bread in our neighborhood in Kisumu and since then I just have this drive to continue being a great leader. That's why I wake up every morning to do this show before doing all the other things including being a father and I want you to think about a story and share with us, you know, something that happened long time ago that continues making you the the great leader that we all admire, you know, from being the father of some of the, the most incredible men here in the Pacific Northwest and a wonderful uh, lady uh, to being the CEO and president of the African Chamber of Commerce of the Pacific Northwest. What is it that drives you, Mr. Gishuru? Oh, Simon, Simon, I'm delighted. I was born in Kenya, a place called Deja in Kikuyu District, Kiambu District. I was born, my parents, my father and mothers, we were struggling. We had a small madhouse. But one thing we always received, especially from my mother, is love. So I started school, <laughs> Simon, and I went to school, I was in standard one, and I had a slate, and the teacher stepped on that slate, and it broke. So my sister used to say, say, my brother Peter went to school, he put his slate down, and the teacher stepped on it and it broke. So from there, uh, standard one, emergency came, was very difficult time. We were on the border of Maasai and Kikuyu. So some people went back to where they, they had come from. Uh, generally had come from Ranga because of being on the border of the Maasai and Kikuyus, my father had connection with the Maasai family. So my father left, he went to Maasai land, and he changed his clothes, dressed like a Maasai, learned Maasai, and opened a shop. Now myself, I was left in Deya, Karai, to go to school. And uh, the most difficult thing is that uh, since I was staying with my, my grandmother, Warega, God bless her, 
is that I'm the one who would go to school to to Karai to fetch water. And when I brought water, I had to be very careful that I we don't I don't finish it. Because if I finish it, it means I have to go back. <laughs> and there was a very you know a very tough little hill that I had to climb. So I stayed there struggling. In fact, I'm with the white, one of the young men who could to I had gigas. But I had a belief that someday I'd be something. So eventually, emergence come, as I said, we were pulling villages out of the gate. I was going to school. Then my father, where they had gone, they had gone to the Surutanam, to the Maasai side. It was decided that uh, since that's Maasai area, they would have to move, go back to Kiambu or go back to Dagureti. And since they did not want to go back to Dagureti or Kiambu, a decision was made that they would be taken to Gong. So when my parents found out that they're going to be taking place. Obviously, they sent somebody to come get me. I came to Sultanam too. We, are, we were all put into big lorries and taken to Gong. And when we arrived in Gong, we arrived there at, uh, at, uh, at night. There was four villages. There was Olorua, Matasia, Kisiria and Wangatarugai. So you would be asked, uh, these villages, do you know anybody? Because if you do, that's what will take you. And if you don't, then we will just pick up a village where we'll take you. So my father knew somebody in Matasia, Mwavi. So that's where we went. Uh, when we went to Matasia, uh, I joined the Catholic primary school. When I joined the Catholic school, and also my father joined a group of friends, and they got together, started investing, and they opened they opened a restaurant, Munyaka Hotel is still there. They also opened a shop. So now I'm going to I'm going to, attending the school, Catholic primary school in downtown Bong. My father and his friends have opened a hotel. They have also opened a shop, which my father is running, and I'm running the shop with him. So the story came is obviously, we are now approaching independence. Everybody is very excited. And since I'm working with my father in this shop, I am making sure that I have a little money. So my father would leave, go to the village, especially Sunday, and there would be young men and women walking around dressed with suits, and they were called the Tomboya Boys. We were told they are going to America on Tomboya airlift. Wow. So I wasn't very smart, but I was smart in some ways. So I approached one of them. I said, come out. You are in the tomboy airlift. Wonderful. Can you come to my shop? I'll give you a Fanta and let's talk. So he came, I gave him a Fanta. 
gone because his brother was a teacher. And obviously, uh, when the school is about ready to start, he had to go back to Moranga. So I asked him, I said, now, do you know anybody? Because me, I like to go to, to America too. But I'm not smart enough to be able to join the Tomboya airlift or Tomboya group. Because Tomboya was told by America, a group in America, that any Kenya student who is smart enough to be able to be accepted to a university will be brought here, go to the university, and also will be lifted from Kenya to America. That's why we was called Tomboy. I lived. So I got to know that young man. I asked him if he knows anybody uh, who is in America. He said, yours. Yes, my cousin is in a place called Sito. So I said, now, when you come back again, could you bring me his address? So he came back again, uh, brought him to my our shop, bought him a, a Fanta. Obviously, the shop was very close to the restaurants, had him eat kima. It used to be called kima. That is meat, potatoes, all cut together. And we became very friends. So he gave me the address. And as I said, I wrote to that school, King's Garden, and for God's really blessing, the person who received that letter, the secretary, and I really communicated. She said, Peter, because as I was writing, you know, I said, nothing succeeds like success. I would like the opportunity to go to America study all the way to where I become a doctor, come back and help my people. So we connected. She told me, Peter, I'll get you a school. I will also get you a family to stay with. That was the time when American family, especially African-Americans, were looking into, were welcoming uh, Africans in their home. So I struggled quite hard on my own, following the steps of these uh, tomboy boys. I learned how to get a passport. I got a passport. And now, after I got the passport, the story is to get visa. And But also, I have to tell my father that I am going to go to America. I have a school that was has been admitted to a school. So my father was like like a lion. Having grown up on the border of Kikuyu and Masai, he was a fighter. At that time, my father was around 40. Nobody would approach him in the mystic, especially me. I'm the oldest son. He would pay my school fees. But other issues, we would have disagreed. So I got a little bit smarter. I said, I will approach one of his best friends, Nashon. And I will ask Nashon if he can arrange for a meeting between me and my father. And that's what he did. So I told my father, I'm going to America. And I have the school, I have a family to stay with. All I need is money 
for the ticket. I still always remember what he said. He said, he said, Utinemodo Gedura Muanoaki Adomete. In other words, everybody would like his chance to be educated. We struggled. Uh, took us a long time to raise $3,000. That was the ticket. Pan American Airline. Finally, we went to the airline. We had gone there quite a few times and we had raised money, raised money. And the lady finally says, Peter, uh, I cannot get you to settle with this money that you have raised. But if you could get another 500 to where now you have, you have 2,500, I'll get you where you go from Kenyatta International Airport to London, from London, I'll get you to Ontario, Canada. And from there, you will, you will take a Greyhound bus to go to Seattle. And by the way, it would take you three days. So that's what I did. A young boy with one suit, daddy clothes. I arrived in Ontario and I got a student, a student, young white student, got in the same bus that was taking me to Michigan, from Michigan to Seattle. So she said, wow, you are an African student. I said, yes, I'm here from Kenya uh, to come and go to school. He said, oh yeah, we have some African school students at the Michigan University. In fact, if you need any help, I could help you. So we came with our the way to Michigan. Obviously at that time, as I said, my clothes were dirty, my shoes, and I had a little bit of money. I was given pocket money. I would uh, buy a shirt, throw the one I had, buy a coat, and uh, finally I got into the bus headed to Seattle. So I arrived in Seattle in November. It was raining wet and uh, family accepted me and uh, that time I found about four Kenyans. In fact, one of the Kenyans I found is one of the uh, well-to-do Kenyans in, uh, in Kenya, SK Masharia. So we stayed here, went to high school, I was obviously going to Catholic school in Gong. The school that I came to begin with was uh, uh, was not Catholic. So eventually I transferred to Lee High School, which is a Catholic school. That's where I graduated from. But when I was, I was almost ready to graduate from high school, uh, since I'm going to be a doctor, I started working in the hospital, Harborview Hospital, as an orderly, which is equivalent to nurses, doctors, assistant. Somebody come to the emergency room, they are drunk, they are messy. So, Peter, can you clean him up before the doctor come to see him? So, good thing about that job is that I always had a job. You could work nights, you could work days, you could work evening. 
also went to uh, Seattle University, which was very close to a day high school, uh, because I had connected with a friend, Monsignor Duffy. One time he said mass, and I wrote a little note after the, the, the mass. I gave it to somebody. I said, can you give this to Father Duffy? So he was given that letter. We stated that I like to move to a Catholic school. So we became very, very good friends. And one thing I had is motivation, desire to be better. After all, in Kenya, the people you saw that time were Tomboya, Waiyaki, uh, Karaoke. Those were the, the, the men that, if you are a young man or a little, you look at them with the ties, white shirt. And you say, when I grow up, I want to be like one of those. <laughs> so I got to America in November. It was raining wet. It would get dark at 4 p.m. I was born to where the sun comes at 6. It goes down at 6. Wow. So it was a struggle, but I persevered uh, also in school. I worked very hard, I excelled, and obviously with a desire to be a doctor, you have to take chemistry, physics, biology. Uh, I have a job at the hospital, I can work any shift. So finally, I graduated from Seattle University. When I graduated from Seattle University, Obviously, I was I applied to go to medical school, and I was interviewed at the University of Washington Hospital Medical School to go to medical school. At that time, I had received Simon a letter from my sister in Kenya, who said, "Peter, our mother is extremely sick, and if you don't come, we don't know what's going to happen to her." So I looked at the professor, I said, if you were me, would you go to medical school or would you go back to Kenya to take care of your mother? He said, Peter, even if you became a doctor and something happened to your mother, you'll never forgive yourself. So I went back to Kenya, took my mother to hospitals until she gets well. Then uh, I came back. Now, when I came back, uh, I wasn't going to go to school. I went to Gonzaga University in Nebraska, which I had applied. And since I had gone to high school here, they presumed that I was an American. So they accepted me. So here I am from Kenya. Go to the president's office. They check. This kid is not American, so he does not qualify for financial aid. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so what can we do? So they applied for they applied for my green card. Since my degree is when, was in chemistry, there was a, a, a rule within the immigration that anybody who majored in science and has a science degree will get a preference to get a green card. So that's how I got my green card. I did not like Nebraska. I stayed there for a year. 
Then I came back to Seattle. From Seattle, I went to, to California, Los Angeles. Now I have graduated and I'm not finding the right jobs. So I started getting jobs there. Uh, have a small apartment. I'm taking classes at UCLA. Uh, the job I could only find was in a cleaning, dry cleaning store. Now, in that store, dry cleaning store, the gentleman who owned the dry cleaning business and I did not like each other. I hated him and he hated me, but we had one thing in common. I needed money and he needed a good worker. Okay. <laughs> so I did that quite a while. Then there was a big week in California where I had to go under the bed. So after the earthquake, packed my things, I said, I'll come back to Seattle. So I came back to Seattle. I had some friends who were going to University of Washington. And in the University of Washington, there will be an area where they advertise all the jobs. So I saw a job there working with the youth. So I applied and I got a job working in Seattle Children's Home in Queen Anne Hill. So I did that for many years. Obviously, I was young, uh, excited, and then I was a little smart. I, at that time, the Boeing had crashed, and there were so many homes in Seattle, which were people just had left them. And we Kenyans were getting together on weekends, and we would party just like young men we would young men and women would do. And we are using somebody else's house. I said, if I bought my house, I think then we can party in my my house. It only took me two hundred dollars. They, they used to do a rotary downtown Seattle, and I bought a house, three bedroom, with a whole basement. So I put. Uh, Moasi, one of the bedroom, Kariuki, is that a second one? Karogu, the third one? So I stay in the basement. So I didn't even pay mortgage. Okay? Then, obviously, now I have money. I'm still working at the hospital. Uh, went home, and my mother said, Peter, if you don't get married because you are the oldest, and these other ones are waiting for you. I don't know what I'm going to do. In fact, I may have to go see Modomogo, which doctor, to find out what's wrong with my son. So I came back and I asked people, I say now, because my mother had told me one thing you have to do, you must marry someone. Uh, we can communicate, I can communicate with you. So I asked people, they said, whether they, they know a beautiful girl. Obviously, working at Harvey I had bought a beautiful car, Tierra 7. I don't know where I was getting money, but uh, I was saving. And somebody said, oh, yeah, Karugu actually said this. A young lady, a friend of my sister, she's in London called Jambi. And her father is very well, well, well very well known. 
and used to work for U.S. American Embassy in Nairobi. And by the way, here is her phone number. So I call her, we connected, discussed. Eventually, uh, about April, I paid for a ticket to come visit me in Seattle. She came. And uh, uh, obviously, as I said, I had a TR7, drove her around. I would stop, open the door. So she went back to London. And uh, because the pressure I'm getting from my mother, I call her. And obviously, she had a great time in Seattle. And uh, I say, now, Jambi, you have six months because I have to get married. The pressure I'm getting from my mother. So eventually she came, we got married, that's 45 years ago. Uh, Beautiful wife. We have three children, two boys and a girl. And uh, uh, from there, obviously I moved from working in Harborview since I had chemistry degree to working for a drug addiction uh, facility. I went to CRU and got a certificate I did that job for seven years. Uh, Then I've always liked real estate. When I was working for King County, uh, first of all, I started by opening a restaurant, Safari Fast Food, on MLK in Othello. (laughs) My wife was the one who was running it. And the bad thing about that business is that if you cook food and you didn't eat it, then uh, by when you come to clean and close the business, you have to throw that food in the garbage. So at that time, obviously, we are going home now and then. Went to Nairobi Public Market. I'm seeing all these, these uh, wazungu buying carving, soapstone, bantiques. So I told my wife, if we brought this closer to them, I think we they would buy them. So put up so we came back with quite a few, went to Pike Place Market, opened a small store, African Imports. It was to start with was Kenya Import, then it became uh, African Import. We opened another one at Bay Pavilion. And then uh, obviously things are going well. Also I got into real estate. When I was doing also doing that, I started uh, Southside Realty in Biria. Okay. So I continued. Uh, real estate went down. I stopped that. I'm concentrating on the shops. Now the business is beginning to go down on the shop because obviously most of these items you can buy them online. And um, so eventually we closed the shops got a job working at night because I came up with the idea, we came up with the idea that uh, we need to be around the table as relates to issues that benefit Africa. So after the Cold War, when Russians and Americans were no longer fighting, there was a question that was being asked, what's going to happen to Africa? Also, looking at that time, uh, there was a realization that Africans were getting poorer and poorer and so poorer. They're not getting better. So we need to change our mindset. 
we need to look at Africa differently. We need to look at Africa not as a recipient, but as a business partner. Yeah. And then at that time, obviously, I'm talking about 1996, 97. Uh, uh, our governments, African government, when they came to U.S., the high-level ministers, the last people they wanted to see were us, <laughs> Africans, because obviously they were running around saying how well they are doing, how they are helping their people, and we know they were not doing that. So we formed an organization, African Chamber of Commerce. Actually, I came up with the idea when when registered the organizations. Then I after I had registered it, that's that's when I started telling my friend. Because I knew if I tell them before, who knows? Maybe Nana would run to Olympia and register us before that. So we formed African Chamber of Commerce with the idea to begin with is educating Americans about Africa. And uh, we did not want to get involved, Simon, with local politics because the Ethiopians were fighting Eritreans, Nigerian, Kenyans, the Africans themselves were not getting along. So we decided that we will concentrate on educating Americans about Africa. We would have forum, for example, on weekend, if the Ghana Consul General from Washington, D.C. is coming to visit Seattle, we would put a forum on weekend, either at uh, Seattle Central or at North Seattle, North Seattle Community College. So we did that. Then, my golly, WTO came to Seattle. Now, when WTO came to Seattle, the host organization were the state government, Microsoft, Boeing, Starbucks, all the big boys of Seattle. And uh, they decided to divide WTO into WTO European event, WTO African event, and WTO Asian event. They had 34 African ministers who came to Seattle for WTO. So they were asking themselves, what do we do with these 34 Africans? you know, WTO, African event, who can help us? So somebody mentioned that it's a small organization that was formed uh, about a year or so called African Chamber of Commerce. And it was formed by Africans who have uh, graduated from the universities and they have jobs with Starbucks, uh, Boeing. And if we invite them to the next meeting, then maybe working with the African-American Business Association here in Central Area, they will organize WTO African event. So we were invited, Simon, and we said to them, we would love to do that. But we had to tell you, we don't have an office. We are what you call a voicemail chamber of commerce. You call us and you leave a message. So we told them that uh, if somebody could find us an office, with a telephone, computer, give us access to a conference room, we would organize it. We wouldn't even charge them anything. So Simon, that's how we got to where our office is. We are housed by Washington State Department of Commerce. And that's where the governors is. We came there in 1999 to do what? To organize 
WTO African event. And we are supposed to be there for only three to six months. And we are still there. Things were very difficult. There are some people who did not want us to be there after all. What are these black people doing here in governor's office? But we have what I call staying power. So we stayed. The directors came and go. I was very involved also politically at that time. Obviously, I was a young and I've always believed, like my father told me, is that you lead, you don't follow. So uh, politically, worked very hard, made connection within politicians in Olympia, uh, Senator Rosa Franklin, Paul Chin, member of the House. So then continued. At the same time, we continue to organize every year the Africa Day Business Forum, which we did during the WTO. So we continued, they were difficult, but we survived. But eventually things started improving. Uh, people started accepting us. And the Washington State Department of Commerce, uh, Simon, as you know, they promote trade with China, with Japan, with Korea, with Mexico. We are the group that connect Washington State companies with Africa. You come to us, if you need to market your product or services in Africa, we guide you. Working closely with the embassy, commercial service, which uh, every U.S. embassy has a commercial person. So we work very closely. So we continue. Uh, things started improving. Now, after WTO, I was told Mandela, our hero, was coming to Seattle. And the person who was organizing his visit is a professor at Seattle U. So I called Seattle U and I said, can you connect me to the president's office? I said, I understand that our hero Nelson Mandela is coming to Seattle and I'm a graduate of Seattle University. And as you can see around Seattle U, there are many Africans because obviously Ethiopians, Somalis started coming and other Kenyans to, to Seattle. So I complained to the lady. So the lady said, Peter, I'm going to give you this number. I want you to call Camaro. Camaro is the one who is organizing the visit uh, by Nelson Mandela to Seattle. And he's working with a professor here at the uh, history department. So I called Camaro. I'm complaining. I explained. He said, Peter, I am an African. I'm like you. In fact, I'm the one who is going to go to South Africa and escort Mandela and his wife to Seattle. And by the way, there's a group that are organizing his visit. They are meeting tomorrow at Seattle University. And uh, if you want, you can come and join be part of that. So I became part of the group that was organizing the visit to Seattle of our hero Nelson Mandela. Wow, what an event. He came to East Margin away Boeing. His plane, the building opened. He got inside. 
There was African-American Indian dancers dancing. So after that, we attend every event that uh, Mandela spoke. But I remember one of the event at the, at the Sheraton. So everybody's there, excited. I am there with my friend. Fortunately, we are sitting next to the choir. So after all the speeches, they say the only group that's going to shake the present hat is the choir. So the choir started, got up, and since we're next to the choir, I told Wubi, I said, Wubi, let's stand up and go. <laughs> so we stand up. Now Dr. Rice uh, said, Peter, you're not in the choir. I said, Dr. Rice, I'm not joining, I'm gonna be joining the choir. So I went and shook Madela's heart, told him who we are, uh, Africans from Africa. And he said what I will never forget. You are the bridge between where the resources are and where resources are needed, okay? You must ensure the resources go from here to your people. And uh, that one we will never forget. And then obviously after that, uh, we've been, the chamber has been involved in bringing the presidents from Tanzania, Rwanda. I sat next to Museveni. So we've been very involved. We've been what I call around the table, not on the table, because if you're on the table, it means that you could be the manual. Okay. We also got involved politically because uh, when we started, there was a gentleman here, he's still around, God bless him, uh, Jim, Dr. Jim McDonald, who was one time stationed in the old Zaire, now Congo. And uh, he was the medical doctor in charge of the embassies around Sub-Sahara. So when he came back and ran for Congress, he was asking himself, what can I do to help Africans? So Mike William in his office suggested, let's promote a registration called AGOA, African Growth and Opportunity Act, which opened the US market for African product. Now he needed us as food soldiers to call other members of Congress, Senate, House, to encourage them to vote, vote for this registration. Now we, we needed him. Because when a minister came to Seattle, Jim McDowell was head of the chairman of the financial, financial aid. <laughs> so they really wanted to see him. Okay. So when they came to Seattle, the first person they wanted to make sure they meet with is Congressman Jim McDowell. So we, be, we became smarter. We connected and worked very closely with Congressman Jim McDonald. He became our mouthpiece. Uh, we worked very hard to for promoting the registration Agoa African Growth and Opportunity Act, which opened the US market for African products. Then we also has been involved in devising US African policy, which we did 
uh, when Goa was passed in the year 2000, Clinton was the president. So we were in Washington, D.C. So we were very active, obviously, in that journey. Uh, my wife, Jambi, when she came to America, so we eventually we had our first son, Gaviri, second son, that child was uh, Kavi, my daughter, who is named after my mother, you know, Kavi. So we continued and uh, things started as it relates to us being recognized because now we have a group that uh, promote trade with Africa. Everywhere we're holding Africa Day Business Forums and uh, bringing ambassadors, ministers. So we continue that journey. Uh, so our effort, as I said at the beginning, it was educating Americans about Africa, holding together workshops. Uh, but we also became very involved in the African community as time went on. And people who were running for mayor of Seattle, obviously they have heard of African Chamber of Commerce. They approached us and we became politically involved. And then the Africans uh, realized it's a place called Seattle, Washington, beautiful place. And they started coming from Montana, Texas, New Jersey, coming to Seattle. The population increasing increased and what happened when you increase in numbers you are politically taken seriously okay so we want we had mayor greg nico elected mcginn then the other one and uh, so we also advocated for an office simon you know office of, of immigrants and refugees in the city of seattle are you still there? I'm here. I want you to just briefly, briefly, uh, Mr. Gishuru, uh, I want you to talk about the Africa Day Business Forum one more time uh, that is happening on this on September 30th. You know, I just want us okay. to touch on it before you continue on uh, with some of the transformation that you have helped uh, bring to Seattle. So on my screen now is actually uh, the, the flyer for Africa Day Business Forum that is happening on September 30th from 8.30 a.m. to 10 p.m. And uh, we are here with the founder of the African Chamber of Commerce of the Pacific Northwest, the president and the CEO, and he's given us a rich history of how he got here, how he built this organization. And I want you to take a minute, if you're watching, if you're listening, go to Eventbrite and grab your ticket uh, and join us on September 30th at the Motif Hotel in uh, downtown Seattle. Uh, Mr. Gishuru, just take a moment um, and kind of give our viewers and our listeners a virtual tour of the Africa Day Business Forum because I have been there many times before and that's part of how uh, I have now joined your team in supporting the growth of the Africa Day Business Forum. Uh, but many people have never been. so. Uh, just paint a picture, you know, you've, you, you are speaking about how you've been influential in helping mayors get uh, elected. But I just want you to uh, take a minute and 
talk about what those who are going to attend in September are going to see and some of the uh, themes and topics that they are going to leave uh, the forum with. Excellent, Simon. I thank you. And I want to invite all of you to join us this year. Africa D Business Forum is going to be taking place on September 30th at uh, Hilton Motive in downtown Seattle, that hotel which we hold our event every year. The reason we do that and we've been holding it there, Simon, for the last 10 years is because Desmond Tutu stayed in that hotel. The carpet in that whole hotel is from South Africa. So this event, as we said, we had the first one during WTO. We continue to hold it every year. And what does it do? The event brings together business people from Africa, government officials from Africa, business people from here, government officials from here. We bring them together to talk about building business relationship, building bridges, and uh, making sure that we assist whoever need to do business in Africa. A good example is one gentleman, Peter Scott, came to me and uh, he's, he started, he, he's an engineer, wanted to, to, to build stoves that produce zero smoke because he had been to Kenya, visiting the stereo area, seen the, uh, the stoves that were being made by Juakali, how much uh, smoke we are producing was you know, health affecting the, the women who were using them. So we guided them, and as an example right now, Peter Scott's company, Banjiko, is in Roido, and they have over 100 employees, I believe 160, 170. So that's one of the companies that I want to give example. So how is the, how is the forum? The forum start is open by a government official. And then after that, it's a topic is U.S. African trade policy, past, present, and future. Okay? What has been the past? What has Agoa been? What's the future of Agoa? What are the trade, you know, uh, issues that are being addressed? Then after that topic, then we come to what are the business and investment opportunities in US, in US for American companies, okay? That's why we have the ambassador speak. That's why we have the visiting delegation speak. For example, this year, we have the Kenya Natural Chamber of Commerce CEO coming. He will be one of the speakers. And then after that, the question is, now I haven't identified what business I want to do, where is the money? If somebody from Exported Bank, somebody from SBA, somebody from Chase Bank, somebody from these other banks around, which uh, give loans for international marketing. Okay. Then after that, we have lunch. The lunches we organize small businesses who have been successful, 
we recognize uh, uh, other people we feel in the community that has contributed to well-being of our community. So, so this is a great event. This year is going to be special because we're going to have a topic of green transportation in Africa. We will have a company that's building electric buses in Portland. They will be joining us. We will also have our friend, Rob Smith, who is building electric boats. He'll be there because, as you know, we are moving from carbon energy to clean energy because also locally, we are very active in helping African small businesses here become successful. Because if, uh, if Jane becomes successful, she's running a restaurant, she's making money. End of the month, she's gonna send some money to her sisters or brothers in Kampala. You take that money, spend it locally. So by us helping the small business here become successful, we are helping Africa. Yeah? Then obviously the other issue, as I said, the world is moving from carbon energy to clean energy. Between Port of Seattle and Port of Tacoma, there are over 600 Africans mm. who move containers in and out of the port. Yeah. And we work with the port. We've been working with the port for the last 10 years to do two things. One, to help them navigate that complex process of moving from carbon energy to clean energy. It's a very complex process. It's very expensive. A diesel truck, uh, you can buy a very good one for between 70 and 90,000. Electric truck right now, Simon, as we speak, is uh, between 350 and 500. So who can afford that? So we are discussing and trying, you know, trying to come up with ways that uh, our people can still stay business because when you have a community that has that many people in that sector, then you have to take that sector seriously. That is true. So uh, join us in this Africa Day Business Forum. Uh, you will enjoy it. You will benefit by the information that you will receive. And also don't forget, we are, our role is to encourage American companies to do business in Africa. China is all over the place, but we want to make sure that you American businesses step up and join us and go with us to Africa. We have done trade missions. We went to Nairobi when uh, our conference was in Nairobi. We went to Kampala. We went to Addis Ababa when uh, uh, there was a conference there. We've been to Zambia. So we've been around and we are doing another trade mission next year. Doing trade mission next year. And uh, we are hoping that we will give you more information. Uh, if you want to join us, look at our website. As I said, we've been very active around. And then the other thing I need to mention is that I, Peter Gishuru, having been here since 1963, I want to leave something for my people. That is the African community. That's why we are building a building in Takwila called Abi, African Business Innovation Center. 
which is going to train Africans and how to enter the well-paying jobs. Right now, if you're down in downtown Seattle, you see a lot of young men and women who have come from other countries who are walking in downtown Seattle, making, getting paid extremely well, 200, 300. Our people are still stuck up with $25 an hour, $30 an hour, and life is becoming difficult. It's almost impossible now to buy a home. So we want to train those people, if they wish, on how to get better job, cyber security, working for Boeing as an engineer, and all those other areas, and obviously promoting trade between Pacific Northwest and Africa. So kindly join us. It will be to your benefit. Uh, you can look at what our website. Uh, accpnw.com www.accpnw.com Simon can pull it on there uh, yeah you, you said it you said it exactly correctly and uh, Peter as we we are just about to wrap up our conversation I just added the flyer for the Africa Day Business Forum on my screen one more time it's uh, September 30th, 8.30 a.m. to 10 p.m. at the Motif Hotel in downtown Seattle. All tickets are available on Eventbrite. I highly recommend that you get your tickets today because they are going to sell out and there might be no tickets at the door. So, Peter, closing remarks, just your final words as we end our program today. Yeah, closing remark is that uh, we Africans are very proud people. Uh, I love my continent. I love our people. And one, one thing I always tell myself is that uh, I want to make sure that my children stay connected to my homeland, uh, Kenya. I have a personal foundation, Gishuru Family Foundation. We do three things. First, uh, we train women on running a small business because of my experience with the business. We provide them with small loans. And then obviously we provide, we provide, we pay fees for students uh, who otherwise would not go to school. So uh, join us, Africans and Americans. We have one thing in common, and that is we want betterment of human beings. We want people to live well. We as an African Chamber of Commerce are guiding our African brothers and sisters on how to build wealth. Because since we are not going to go back, we are going to stay here. So we want to make sure that we take advantage of the opportunities and we build, Simon, what I call intergeneration wealth. I thank you very much. I know my story was long, but I hope it was beneficial. But join us for the Africa Day Business Forum September 30th, you will benefit tremendously. Meet delegations from Congo, delegations from Kenya, delegations from Ghana, delegations from different African countries. And also, come here about the green transportation. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peter, for making the time. Have a beautiful day. And to all our viewers and listeners, my guest today 
was Mr. Peter Gishuru, the president and CEO of the African Chamber of Commerce of the Pacific Northwest. I just want to read some of your comments quickly. Uh, Margaret Kambi joined us from Kenya. Thank you. Kesiwa, thank you for joining us from uh, California. Uh, try and make it to Seattle for the African Chamber of Commerce uh, event on September 30th. Kesiwa, uh, uh, Stella joined us from Kisumu, Kenya. Thank you. And Gary Wainaina also joined us from the, the Seattle area. He's the host of the Kenya Americani TV. Thank you very much. He says hello to you, Peter. Uh, and uh, I just thank you all, and we will be here again uh, same time uh, tomorrow, same channel. And I will also see you. I'll be there personally on September 30th at the Africa Day Business Forum. Mr. Gishuru, have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, you too. Thank you. You are listening to African Father in America podcast by Simon Javanokelo live from Seattle.